0: Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. And just to update you, thanks in large part to many of you. uh, We've been able to purchase a new home in central Missoula. And there's a lot of work ahead of us when it comes to making another warehouse our church home. And you can continue to contribute to remodel and renovation funds at achurchbuilding.com. But we just want to express to you how grateful we are for your support. And we hope that this resource you're about to listen to will be a blessing for you as well. Let's... Bow our heads once more before we dive into God's word together. Uh, Lord, there is a profound paradox in this text, and that is um, where at the end it culminates with this plea um, that we as creation would listen to the creator. Lord, what an astounding truth that for those who are saved by you, that you as creator listen to us as creation. You desire to hear our prayers eagerly, (laughs) and how silly we are to not hear your word. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we pray for ears to hear, and, and we pray for heart transformation, we pray to understand your scriptures, that you are a God who desires to give us good things. So we pray that happens in our midst today. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you haven't yet already, uh, I will do so as well. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter one. We're finishing uh, up Proverbs one today. But I want to open with a song that you perhaps have heard. Come, sit beside me, my only son. Listen closely to what I say. If you do this, it will help you some sunny day. Take Take your time. Don't live too fast. Troubles will come. Troubles will pass. You'll find a woman. You'll find love. Don't forget that there's someone up above. Forget your lust for the rich man's gold. All that you want now is in your soul. And you can do this if you try. All that I want for you, my son, is to be, anyone, satisfied and be a simple kind of man And won't you do this for me, son, if you can? Perhaps you've heard that song. Some of you have no idea what I'm doing, um, which is (laughs) quite unfortunate for the both of us. Um, But this is one of my favorite songs, written by Leonard Skynyrd, called Simple Man. And it's written from the posture of this mother pleading with her son to not forget what she has told him. That it is the simple things in life which ought to be cherished as the central things in life. And why does she plead with him? Well, we see it. All that she wants is for him to be satisfied. Now, this song is not only a legend in its own right, and shame on you for not knowing it, uh, but it's also one that has been covered and known by all sorts of artists in all different genres. Uh, It was released in 1973, and it's been covered. It's been on uh, those silly shows where contestants... Like the Masked Singer, I think, they did this song. Anyway, um, it's been there. And what this means is that there are generations of musicians and entertainers who know this song. They hum this song. They cover this song. They pay respect to this song. And yet, year after year, at every Grammy celebration, we see the In Memory slideshow. Showing the names of artists after artists who year after year forget what this very song reminds them of. We see suicide and overdose. We see anxiety and depression. We see the lust of a rich man's gold. It's so pervasive. In fact, despite all of our familiarity with this song, it seems the melody of the world blares much louder than this song of a mother. And for those of us who have been Here, the last few weeks, as we started up Proverbs, perhaps you've noticed a similarity between the mother in simple man and Solomon in Proverbs chapter 1, who is writing as a father to his son. That is, we all come to this text as children, and Solomon is pleading with us. Last week, in Proverbs 1 verse 8, he opened up, he said, hear, O son, your father's instructions, forsake not your mother's teaching, why would he plead with us? Well, we see the answer today in Proverbs 1, verse 33. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. See, here's the wonderful promise of God's wisdom. What does God, God's wisdom want of you? It wants for you to be satisfied. But just as we know is true with our songs, there's a difference between hearing a song and listening to a song, between knowing a message and actually heeding its message. But this is what Proverbs 1 verses 20 through 33 wants to help us with today. It wants to show us that to hear the call of wisdom, to hear the song of what we hear today means that we should actually listen to it. We should apply it. We should respond to it. And the big picture of what we're going to see today is this, is that wisdom is openly available, but exclusively applied in the gospel. Wisdom is everywhere. It's pervasive. And yet, it's still somewhere to be found. You have to access it somewhere. You have to find its entry point somewhere. You have to lay hands on it somewhere. And that somewhere that we access the wisdom which leads us to satisfaction is where God has placed it which is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're in the middle of this fatherly monologue to a son. And last week, the father um, characterized the call of the sinner. He spoke as sinners would speak to his son to warn him. And today, the father's going to introduce us to another character, a character of Lady Wisdom. This character speaks not from the side of sinners, but from the side of wisdom. She's a caricature, a personification of biblical Wisdom. And in today's text, we're going to see three things about Lady Wisdom. In verses 20 through 21, we're going to see Wisdom's call. In verses 22 through 32, we're going to see Wisdom's critique. And then in verse 33, we are going to see Wisdom's comfort. So let's begin by looking at Wisdom's call and let's see what we learn about Lady Wisdom in verses 20 through 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voices. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of city gates, she speaks. So before we see what wisdom is going to speak, what wisdom is going to do, let's remind ourselves what wisdom is in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Our opening sermon, we kind of saw the slogan for the book and the definition of wisdom in Proverbs 1, verse 7, which says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What is the fear of, or what is wisdom? It's like Jeopardy. What is the fear of the Lord? Wisdom, Alex. Uh, What is the wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. Well, we should know what the fear of the Lord is, shouldn't we? What is the fear of the Lord? It is a reverent reliance upon God. It's the realization that we were created to be wholly dependent, recognizing the obligation we have to delight in, to worship, and to adore the God who created us, For his glory. The fear of the Lord chooses to see everything in this world. It is this lens of wisdom that sees it through the eyes of the Creator instead of the desires of the creation. So, Lady Wisdom here isn't just a placeholder for bright thinking, Lady Wisdom is the personification of a right relationship to this God. It is, wisdom is a right relationship to God who knows all things. So that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is a right relationship to a God who responds to God rightly by recognizing our reliance upon him in all things. But what else do we learn about Lady Wisdom here? She's pretty vocal, isn't she? This whole town is filled with her message. Do you see that? In verse 20, in in the streets, wisdom speaks. In the marketplace, wisdom yells. At the head of noisy streets, she does the best to be the loudest voice. And even when you're coming into the city for the first time, at the entrance to the gates, she makes her message known. If you've ever visited a historic church or a center for performing arts, you've sat in a space completely opposite this space <laughs> a space where engineers and designers meticulously plan the acoustics of the entire space the best theaters boast that regardless of how big the venue is that two performers could stand at center stage and whisper without the help of microphones and that whisper would be hear- heard clearly at even the worst seat in the concert Venue, And here in Wisdom's Call, we see the world is acoustically tuned by God himself as the concert hall to carry his glory to every seat. All have heard this wisdom. Look at how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of this world. In them he has set a tent for his son. You see, every square inch of this divine theater we live in reverberates, with the constant glory of God demanding to be heard. It was created so that we would hear Him and in turn, know Him. And do you realize that every natural thing you encounter in this world is meant to draw us into a right relationship with God? And yet, rocks and stones and trees and sticks don't verbally say anything, do they? But here, is a new wisdom, a wisdom that is being proclaimed, exclaimed, and declared without excuse by Lady Wisdom, the call to hear and know this God by fearing him, by relying on him, by loving him. You see, you can't turn anywhere in this world, whether you are Christian or not, and not see that there is a God whom we ought to worship. And more than that, when you encounter this text, don't you kind of get the feeling that Lady Wisdom is almost stalking us? She's almost following us, right? Do you get the picture of what's going on in verses 20 and 21? Here, it's like when you go to work in the quiet streets of the morning, she's there. When you're at work in the marketplace, she's there. When you're driving home at rush hour traffic on reserve, she's there. When you're trying to escape the city on vacation, she is there. there. Speaking so that you might hear her. Calling out so that you might heed her. So what do we learn about wisdom's call here? It is intentional that you would listen. And it's everywhere that all would listen. But, despite how intentional and pervasive this call is, despite how to know anything in this world, to hear anything in this world is to hear what we need to hear that should cause us to know God. The problem that is assumed here is that apparently not everyone who hears it actually hears it. Look at how Paul speaks of this dilemma in Romans chapter one. Romans one, verses 18 through 20, Paul says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what has been known about God has been plain to them because God has shown it to them. Do you hear Proverbs 1? Do you hear Psalm 19? God has shown it for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21 continues and it says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They suppressed the truth of God. They heard it but ignored it. They wouldn't listen to it. They got rid of it. Everyone has heard it but people rejected it. Wisdom calls loudly for us to fear the God who created us but we have made a habit of ignoring her song. And this is what the larger portion of this passage in Proverbs chapter one begins to unpack for us. The problem. You see the content of wisdom's call which is everywhere is actually a critique of our dead hearts. And that's our second point today. Wisdom's critique. And in verses 22 through 32, we're gonna read a summary of wisdom's critique. And then she's gonna give two supporting arguments as to why her critique is true. And we read the summary of her critique in verses 22 through 23. How long, O simple ones? This is wisdom. This is the call that's going out. How long, O simple ones? Will you love being simple? How long will scoffers Delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So here we see Wisdom's summary. Her summary is this You've got broken hearts, and you need help. Isn't that really what she's saying? And she begins by addressing kind of these three classes of people. First, she speaks to the simple. The simple in Proverbs is generally perhaps the immature, the new, the naive, the person who's easily satisfied with where they are. And then she speaks to the scoffer. Of all the three people groups in here, none of them are good. This one is the worst. Because the scoffer implies that he actually hears her call quite clearly. He knows it and he's familiar with it. He scoffs at it. What is scoffing? I don't know, but you know the sound, (laughs) Scoff. We mock it, we call what is wise to be foolish, is a hardened heart, and there's this category of the fool. Perhaps the difference is just not young or naive like the simpleton, but someone who is perhaps advanced in years and has no idea that they're living life backwards. And what's important for us to see actually in these three categories are the heart words that Lady Wisdom is using. These heart words are key words in the book of Proverbs. And did you see them? Did you see the three heart words in Proverbs 20, uh, verse 22? How long, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. Love, delight, hate. These are words we feel, aren't they? Wisdom is not writing to people's minds, as we would think in this Western world. Wisdom is writing directly to their hearts. She's after those who love ignorance, who boast in arrogance, and who hate considering it any other way. Now, what's interesting is Lady Wisdom comes to this town and she wants to be heard. And where does she go? She doesn't go to the Society of Wisdom, does she? because none of us start out wise. No one starts out wise for wisdom to call out to. We all start out in this deficit of foolishness. We are all born in a Romans 1 world where the call has gone out and we, by default, have proven either our simplicity, our scoffing, or our foolishness. But here's the beauty of it. We can spend a lot of time trying to diagnose whether we are simple, whether we are scoffers, or whether we are fools, but the wonderful thing here is that all three of this people, which is comprehensive for all of us who are in sin, are called to do one thing. We are called to one place. Romans 1 verse 23, or Proverbs 1 verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. Isn't that great to consider? Doesn't that speak to the comprehensiveness of God's solution to our multi-faceted problems? You see, not only is God's wisdom everywhere to be heard, but God's wisdom is helpful to correct anyone who has responded poorly. Have you ever asked yourself the question, can God really help me? Have you ever considered a track record of foolish decisions and wonder if there's any hope for you? Have you ever perhaps been the scoffer with a heart so hardened you wonder if there's grace? Have you ever been so upside down in your world and you wonder, can I ever make it right? Well, here's God's answer to you. You can. By coming to his wisdom. All it takes is turning. If you you turn at my reproof. And the Hebrew word for turning is the same word the Hebrew authors use for repentance. What does it look like to turn at wisdom's correction? It looks like repenting. What does repenting look like? It looks like turning. It's the acknowledgement that you've been the fool, the scoffer, and the simpleton And you realize that what you need is not more self-help. This world has self-help galore. But someone who turns at wisdom's reproof realizes they need more than self-help. They need a new heart, right? Isn't that what verse 23 assumes? I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. Wisdom isn't realizing that you've figured something out. Wisdom isn't a stroke of your own genius or intellect. Wisdom is realizing that God, in His grace, is offering to change your hearts. If you look at your heart and you see those heart words of loving what is simple, delighting in what is scoffing, and hating knowledge, how do you fix a broken heart? There's a song there. How do you fix it? You need a heart transplant. Something needs to change here. You need God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit poured into you to rechange, reorganize, and re-enliven the desires of your hearts. What Lady Wisdom is promising in Proverbs 1, verse 23 is nothing short of conversion, of being made new by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. As the New Testament authors speak of this, look at how Paul describes this experience in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Now, five, I'm in the wrong place. There we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. So why is it that we have seen this wisdom has gone out into the world pervasively, intentionally, and exhaustively. And yet we on our own cannot turn to it. Well, it's because the problem is not with our ears. The problem is with our hearts. Our hearts need to be changed. Now, if you're a Christian, I imagine that you have experienced this joy. You've experienced what wisdom calls a reproof we call grace because we realize that it is calling us to something better, that it is fanning an affection that has been dead our whole life for Christ, and we turn and we repent to him. We positionally see what he has done, and we run to him with a heart set on fire by his Holy Spirit. But for some of us, non-Christians, and maybe even those who claim to be Christian, this idea of heart change actually seems foreign and perhaps even unneeded. Do I need to have a new heart when I could say the right things? Do I need to have this kind of satisfaction when I'm satisfied by other things? Well, here we see the benefit of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge beforehand. And it's going to get in front of us. And she's going to bring two supporting arguments to her, her call that you have, a, you have a broken heart and you need help. In, verse tw- in what we just read, we see this summary and now we see two supporting arguments. The first supporting argument that you need a new heart is seen in verses 24 through 28. Why do you need a new heart? This is what we're gonna see in 24 through 28. Because without it, you'll never find wisdom even if you look for it. Without a heart change... You'll never find wisdom, even if you look for it. Verse 24 says this, Because I have called, and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. So in one sense, there's a very firm warning here that we ought to heed. That for each of us, there will be a day when responding to wisdom's call is too late. If you're wondering when the time to turn is, it's now. Don't waste today. This is not a message to be applied tomorrow. This is a message to be applied now in this moment of turning from sin and turning to Christ. One day, we will all stand before God and at that point, it is too late to turn. At that point, when you call out to wisdom, the wisdom that you have mocked, the wisdom that you have scoffed, she in turn will scoff at you and say, you fool. You had every opportunity but chose not to. But I think Solomon is actually making a different point here, but it's a point nonetheless weighty. We see the weighty language he uses in verse 28 when he says this. They will call out to me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. So here's the picture Lady Wisdom is painting the scoffer, the simpleton, and the fool all encounter some sort of trial of the heart, right? You look at the words that precede this this calamity, this whirlwind, this storm that comes into their life. And in that moment, they begin to sober up to their foolishness and realize that either something is wrong or something doesn't satisfy. And maybe you've had a moment like that. Maybe that's what's brought you here today to to be with us in person or to listen to this online. There is some event in your life which is showing you that something is not right. That There is a limit to your own satisfaction or there is a pain beyond your imagination. And in that moment, just perhaps like you do, you begin to avoid what is wrong by looking for what is wise. They begin to seek wisdom, but they do not find her. And this sounds, perhaps, like wisdom has hidden herself, right? But I don't think that's the point. Let me show you why. Look at all that wisdom is doing in this text. Again, if you start in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud. She raises her voice. She cries out again. She speaks continually at the gates. We see in verse 24 or 25 that they have ignored counsel, that they would have none of her reproof. And in verse 23, we see how serious it is. When she says, or verse 24, she says, I have called and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand. And you have not heeded Does this sound like wisdom hiding in the shadows? Does this sound like someone who does not want to be heard? No. The problem is not that wisdom is hidden. The problem is that foolish hearts will never look where wisdom actually is. Because it requires humility. It requires turning back to what you have spent your lifetime ignoring. And without a heart change, you will encounter those moments of calamity, those moments of storm, those moments of trial, and you will know you need to turn. But will you turn back? Or will you just turn another stone, hoping to find something else? Turn another corner hoping to find something new, looking everywhere except the place where wisdom has already called, spoken, counseled, and reached out. Do you get the picture? Wisdom has set up a bullhorn, and yet these people act as if she hasn't spoken. They call to her as if she hasn't first called to them. They reach for her, not realizing where she has already reached to them. In verses 25 and 30, he says that they would have none of his counsel. That's another heart word. In fact, it's the same heart word that showed up in one verse 10, when the father says, my son of sinners enticed, do not consent. The father pleads with us, do not consent to sin, do not want to sin. And here we see the problem of a foolish heart is that it does not want to listen. It does not want to turn. Back to God. You see, this is our postmodern problem in our world today. Our problem is not that we don't think we have problems. Our world knows it has problems. It blares those problems on our news feeds 24-7. Our problem is that we look for answers to these problems in every place except for the place where God has already given us the answer to these problems. Without heart change, we are all eyes and no ears. We see things rightly, but we cannot hear what we need to hear to respond. Look at how the late R.C. Sproul describes this dilemma. He says, everyone is looking for power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything and in everything, but that which God has placed it, his word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity, and that power focuses on the scriptures. You see, recognizing that your life has a problem is only part of the solution. The next step is now, what do you do with this? It is still possible to be convinced of your foolishness, but to diligently seek, is the language Proverbs is using, to diligently seek wisdom that is not God's wisdom, salvation, which is not God's salvation, to turn away from the wonderful grace that has already been spoken by Lady Wisdom. So supporting argument number one is why do you need a new heart? Because without a new heart, you're never gonna hear. You're never gonna respond. Argument two is gonna begin in verse 29, and that is this. That without a heart change, your seeking will lead to something which seems to satisfy, but can never save. So you're gonna search for wisdom, but you're not gonna find it, and wisdom says the problem with that is is that you will find something. And that something that you find will seem to satisfy you, but it can never save. Proverbs 1, 29 through 32. So this is repeating the main primary argument, but it's a little nuanced at the end. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. So here we continue to see the anatomy of a fool, right? They do not consent and their hearts do not choose to fear God. The need for heart change continues. And in this moment of crisis, knowing they need to look somewhere, they don't turn back to wisdom, but instead they look to other things. And they find something which satisfies them. They find something which actually fills their bellies. That's what's implied when it says, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. And then wisdom says something incredibly profound. Look with me at verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Did you hear that? The simple are killed by their turning away. Do you remember wisdom's call in verse 23? If you turn at my reproof, I will pour my spirit into you. I will make my words known to you. But here, simpletons turn, they repent away from God. They turn to things which are not God. Why do we need a new heart? Because it's not the act of repentance which saves us. It's the object of our repentance which saves us. Everyone repents to fix what they think is wrong. Because we might be fools, but we're not idiots. When something is wrong in our life, we know we need to change something. But without a heart change, we cannot see God, and so we are going to turn to lesser things to alleviate that burden of our calamity. And this is a really profound statement. From a biblical perspective, all of us are turning. All of us are repenting in light of our own weaknesses and limitations. The question isn't, do you repent? The question is, to whom do you repent? In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis is describing in a novelized form, What makes hell so hellish? And the problem in hell that he promotes is not that there are problems in hell. In fact, there are no problems. One individual says this. He says, the trouble is they have no needs. You get everything you want, though not very good quality, just by imagining it. Everyone got what they want. And they found themselves in hell. Meaning this, what sin lacks in quality, it makes up for in quantity. What sin lacks in quality, it makes up for in quantity. We know and we experience, don't we, that no one ever sins, even in the most enticing, scandalizing sin, and we sit back and say, Aha, I am satisfied. We feel the void whether it comes minutes or decades later. And yet, as soon as we feel that, a new desire comes, a new object, a new temptation. We've exhausted what is old, but the world puts forward what is new. These temporary satisfiers, all who call for us to turn to what we feel is a need when we encounter the problem of our hearts. And it's in this, here's another heart word, complacency that we are destroyed what a unique word that word complacency actually implies a sense of peacetime living of living in the golden age living in security and contentment meaning that for many of us when this moment of trial or calamity comes we might turn not to lady wisdom but to something else, and you might actually find contentment and complacency. You might find comfort and contentment in a work which distracts, or a drink which satisfies, or a community which comforts, but it's all a farce. It cannot satisfy you. In fact, Lady Wisdom says, it will destroy you. Complacency distracts us to death, which means this. If you're someone in this room who wrestles with the limitations of your heart and the pain of this world, I want to encourage you that this is actually a good thing. Proverbs actually shows us that it's not the discontent who should be fearful and cautious, but the content and complacent. On the flip side, are you one who finds your life to be relatively easy, relatively simple, relatively satisfied? Here, that Could be a very good thing, but we ought to soberly consider to whom have you turned. What is it that is satisfying you and leading you to a sense of complacency? Because this passage concludes with two paths. One path leads to destruction and promises peace. The other path actually provides peace. It is a path which changes our lives and our experiences. And we see this secondary path in verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So here we see our final point today. Here we see wisdom's comfort. Here we see that there is things you could turn to that make you complacent and make you think you're living at peace. But here's the promise of real peace. Life without dread. Ease, not ignorance, freedom from fear, not frenzy. But how do you get it? Isn't that the question? How do we actually get this? How do we lay claim on the promise which has apparently gone out to the whole world, echoed through the heavens, that had been proclaimed to us by lady wisdom herself? Verse 33. We listen. We listen. That's the exact same verb that the Father opened with in Hebrews 1:8. "Hear, my son, your father's instructions. To hear is to listen, to listen is to hear. And what do we do when we hear this? You're hearing it today. It's being proclaimed to you. Where do we go if we want to see the wisdom that we have missed? What do we know what it looks like to have turned? We must go back. We must humble ourselves. We must return to wisdom's offer. And where do we find the wonderful hope that wisdom doesn't just speak to our ear but changes our hearts? We look at God's great plan in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 11, it says that a root will come from the stump of Jesse, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, and the spirit of wisdom will be on him. There will be a man who has this spirit. We see a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to what it says, 25 through 26. And I will sprinkle clean water on you And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here is this prophecy that God is going to do this work. And we actually get to see the fulfillment of it in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at the wonderful fulfillment of this heart change and where we can find it. Verses 16 through 20, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Do you hear Proverbs 1 in here? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. Isn't this wild? And it gets cooler when we see this contrast. Okay, Look at Proverbs 1 verse 28 where it says this, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. James 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Forget my bad formatting. Those are two different texts, right? They look for me and I won't answer. James 1 verse 5, call on me and I'll graciously give. What changed? What hope is there for you? Jesus changed everything. In Proverbs, Lady Wisdom called out and no one turned. So in the gospel, Jesus Christ did far more than call out to us. He came down for us, He came to pay the price of rebellion that our itching ears and our dead hearts earned so that he might remove that and open our ears to hear and our hearts to love, not what is simple, but to love our Savior. Jesus' message doesn't call for us to return to the streets. Jesus' message grabs the heart of the sinner and brings us back to the cross. If you want this heart change, it requires a turning, which only Jesus can do. It is everywhere, and yet it is here It is in the work of Jesus that your heart is made new. It is turning to no one else except the Christ who died in your place who can revitalize what sin has broken. A turning which might seem painful because it acknowledges what you've spent your whole life rejecting. But if you would be changed by this Jesus and turned by the power of his grace away from your sins and towards the God who redeems you, what stands there? The promise of peace, of dwelling securely, of not fearing the sin that is quickly exhausted and the destruction that so quickly follows. C.S. Lewis also said this once, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you've taken a wrong turn, then going forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. Going back is the quickest way on. So I have a question for you today. And that question is, where are you turning? God in his grace brings calamities, brings trials, brings satisfaction into our life but each of those moments demand our hearts to turn. And are you turning to the God who has promised to satisfy? Are you turning to lesser things, endless things, things of poor quality but of momentary joy? Are you turning to something not newly found but something long ignored? Are you acknowledging your own foolishness? This is something which if you've never done this, You have the opportunity to do this today. You have the opportunity to turn before it's too late. If you're stuck in the heart words of loving simplicity, delighting and scoffing, hating knowledge, not consenting to God, there is hope for you that if you come to Jesus, he will change your heart. He will help you with the burdens that you're carrying. He will give you affection for you. He will promise you peace. But you must see the good news of what Jesus has done. To take away your sins and see that He has restored you back to God so that you can fear Him with the best sense of fear. That this God is for you, this mighty, powerful God is for you in Jesus Christ. And to those who are Christian, those who have repented in this wonderful, ultimate repentance of turning, this text shows us that repentance is not a once and for all act. The daily, the call of this world is to turn you from, to literally cause you to repent to another. And you see, there is a complacency of sin which offers death deferred. It says life is hard, but look at this new politician. Look at this new lover. Look at this new TV. Look at this new phone. But it's endless distraction before destruction. Destruction. But in Jesus, death isn't deferred. Death is destroyed. Death is conquered in the king who bore your disaster for you so that you might turn and have this peace. You might turn and experience no loss. You might turn and have this satisfaction. So will you listen? Will you hear? Because Christ has done more than call. He has come for you. And that is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you work wonderful things in our hearts. Every act of worship that we offer, regardless of how long we've been a Christian, is due to the miracle of you pouring your spirit to dead hearts. It is a miracle of sin defeated on the cross, of death defeated in an empty tomb. And so, Lord, we pray for us today that we now look into our world and we see with clarity how everything reverberates with the call of your grace to trust in this God, to worship this King, to say no to the turning which leads to complacency and say yes to the turning which leads us to eternity. Lord, satisfy us with your grace in a way that only you can. We pray this in your name. Amen.